a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Very pleased to be joined now by former National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster. He's now Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. How are you doing today, sir? Okay, boy, it's it's good to be with you, but uh, it's obviously, obviously under very sad um, circumstances here. It it is, and uh, so I, I want to have you weigh in on a couple of things that uh, we've been talking about, kind of the the room where it happens, and and what happens in this kind of crisis type situation where you have a president, you most likely have your national security advisor, secretary of state, secretary of defense, and and probably the uh, chairman of the joint chiefs in the room. Uh, from your experience, can you describe a little bit of just how does that input? Everyone's got input. Everyone's got angles. Everyone has opinions. How does that go to the president? How are those decisions made in this kind of crisis? Well, you know, this, this is a self-inflicted crisis, right? So it's, I think, unique in that connection. And I think any advice that you would want to give President Biden at this stage would cut against the predilections that led to this to this crisis to begin with. And that's the predilection to really withdraw from Afghanistan at all costs and to make the withdrawal itself the objective, right? And so once you do that, this is what you get, right? What you're seeing now is is what happens when you surrender to a terrorist organization, right? You, you don't have a very high degree of agency or influence over the situation, uh, except uh, except that what, what you can do, you know, at you know, with their approval, and uh, and what we're doing is we're running an evacuation mission. Uh, to get U.S. citizens out and as many Afghans as we can. Uh, but we've already made it clear that we're just going to adhere to a timeline, and we don't care how many people we actually leave behind. Yeah. So uh, I think in this situation, you you have nothing to do but, I guess, to follow orders from the top or to ask the president uh, to, to reframe the situation that we're facing and to maybe entertain uh, an objective different from, from uh, you know, from a surrender and withdrawal. Uh, so... Uh, and then if, if there is if there isn't an additional objective, you know, maybe to ensure that all American citizens and and those uh, who the Taliban would brutalize and and, and murder uh, because of, of their role in trying to build a better future for their country or working with us, uh, then you would then you can develop right to, to accomplish those objectives. And you can do your best, obviously, to to assess, you know, the cost and risk of those actions, which are not inconsiderable at this stage. Right. This would, this would be a major reversal. Yeah. But uh, but I think that, that that kind of thinking is important because what we're hearing, Boyd, is, is that we have no agency, right? We have no other option right. uh, but to continue with this surrender to to uh, to the Taliban. And, and that's not the case, right? I mean, that might be the case if we were, you know, Ecuador, you know, but we have resources. We have a military that can impose our will in parts of the country if we need to to, to get people out. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, a humanitarian objective at this stage mm-hmm. – is an important one, yeah. Uh, but but of course we wouldn't be able to pursue any humanitarian objective without the use of some force or the threat of force. Yeah, uh, so important, and uh, I really appreciate this idea that, that really the the decision to make the withdrawal the objective or the desired outcome uh, is really why we are in in the situation that we're that we're in right now. 
And you you right. have written extensively about uh, kind of what happens in terms of whether that's a, a groupthink moment. Uh, you've written extensively about this idea of strategic narcissism versus this strategic empathy. And are we seeing? Is that what we're really seeing play out here? This this is kind of the fallout of really having that narcissistic view. It's it's absolutely what's happening, and you know I. I you know, I, I mean, not to take this this really somber moment to to plug my book, but but I I do think the two chapters uh, were kind of full of emotion for me in in battlegrounds on South Asia, uh, and and on the Afghanistan war in particular, and and what is astounding and and uh, and I tried to capture this in a in an essay in the Wall Street Journal recently is is the degree to which we've deluded ourselves on Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Everything I think that has become conventional wisdom about the war. Is actually, you know, quite wrong, right? Uh, you know that 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 this was a twenty-year war. Now it's been really a one-year war fought twenty times over. Mm-hmm. You know that we really should have just left. You know, after two thousand one, early two thousand and two, uh, when in fact, you know, the consolidation of, of gains to get to a sustainable political outcome that was hostile to jihadist terrorism was important uh, to denying Al Qaeda a, a safe haven support base. Now, as we have, as we have departed, we're seeing now. The Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan reestablished, uh, and and the and the, the Taliban are completely intertwined uh, with Al Qaeda. You know, another element of that conventional wisdom is you know that we could actually partner maybe with the Taliban against Al Qaeda and our jihadist terrorists. I mean, I, that's crazy. You know, the 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 you know the surrender agreement uh, that the Trump administration entered into in February of two thousand uh, or twenty twenty. You know, this this was based on the assumption. Of, of that bold line, and that the Taliban would share power, right, mm-hmm. in, in Afghanistan, that the Taliban might impose a more benign form of Sharia this time, right? This is these are all elements of this of this self delusion, uh, and and so and, and I think the ultimate assumption that, that the Biden administration made was that there's no consequence to losing a war, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, and what we're seeing is just the beginning of those consequences, and in, in, in it is at the beginning of a humanitarian catastrophe of colossal scale. We're next going to see a refugee crisis that will destabilize countries in the, in, the, in the region. We're going to see a huge psychological and physical and financial boost to jihadist terrorists who already want to commit mass murder uh, against us and, and really a war against all humanity. It's not, an, it's not an endless war, Boyd, that we can end. This is an endless jihad that they're right. waging against us. You know, this idea that we can still have an over-the-horizon counterterrorism capability, that's a, a pipe dream. Yeah. I mean, the Afghans were bearing the brunt of the fight until we delivered psychological blows to them from which they couldn't recover, right, by us not allowing the Afghan government to enter into the, any negotiation with the Taliban, not, not insisting on a ceasefire, insisting that they release, the Afghans release 5,000 of some of the most heinous criminals on earth who went immediately back to terrorizing the Afghan people, and then our, 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 complete, our pledge of complete withdrawal by a, by a certain date. You know, what, what did the Taliban do? They just went around to Afghan yeah. district chiefs and, and provincial governors and military commanders said, okay, here, you know, here are your options. You either accommodate with us or we're going to kill your family. Right. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah. And so that's why you saw this, this rapid collapse. It was all predictable. I mean, it was, it, it was, we set it up. Right. We threw the Afghans under the bus on our way out. If we were just going to leave, how about just leaving? How about yeah. just that? Why, why did we actually advantage the Taliban? against the Afghan government on our way out. And then we hear, you know, complaints about Ashraf Ghani. Do you prefer Haibatullah Akhundzada? Does anybody know his background? His son 
he, he praised his son for being a suicide bomber in, in Helmand province in 2017. That's who you have running the country. Siraj Haqqani, who is the military commander of the Taliban and is a Haqqani network al-Qaeda figure, is now in charge of security and is dictating the terms to us of what we can and cannot do in Kabul airport right now. Wow. I mean, it, 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 we should be profoundly sickened and, and embarrassed by this, yeah. Boyd. So, so let me ask you one last question before I let you go. If you're just joining us, we have H.R. McMaster, uh, former National Security Advisor, uh, fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. Uh, I wanted to get to the the kind of the what's the what's next conversation. Uh, again, if you were in the room with the president uh, and the other advisors in there, uh, you talked about you know reframing or or restructuring the situation or, or declaring a new objective, which is, is what I thought the president would do yesterday, and he clearly did not do yesterday. He talked about bridges and roads uh, and political wins. Um, what, what would be the strategic uh, thing to move us forward, kind of that strategic empathy? How do we, how do we actually make that happen uh, as a country uh, and for the world? Well, we just have to know that the, the vast majority of Afghans don't want to live under Taliban rule, and we need to support those who are going to try to get their country back on the path to rejecting the Taliban and putting their country back together. That is going to be now members of an Afghan diaspora who we should give voice to, mm. uh, who we should try to strengthen, who we should welcome into our neighborhoods and into our communities because they'll strengthen us much like I think uh, those who fled other disasters have become some of our greatest and, and, yeah. and most productive and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, patriotic citizens. And then, and then I think we have to support opposition groups within Afghanistan. I mean, I, I know that you know everybody's just tired of this war and wants to just put it in the rearview mirror. But we do have Amrullah Saleh, who is in command of about 10,000 Afghans in the, in the Panjshir Valley. Uh, they just retook uh, four districts yesterday. Uh, and I, I think we ought to declare that a safe zone, you know, oh, and, and work with others to support them. Yeah. You, know, the, you know, the Taliban, the idea was that, you know, that, that we just needed to leave. Uh, because you know the the Af- you know, we could no longer support the Afghans and we were tired of it. But we should recognize the Taliban has had external support from those who fund jihadist terrorists and from the Pakistani army. And so I think the other thing that we need to do is to isolate those who have who have who have supported the Taliban. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I think there ought to be a a loud, angry outcry from all Americans if we hear the Biden administration make noises about recognizing the Taliban government in Afghanistan. Okay. And uh, and we need to isolate them and keep them as weak as we can, and then we have to redouble our counterterrorism efforts elsewhere. You know they have they have released from prison uh, members of, of ISIS, Al Qaeda, and others uh, who have just reinvigorated jihadist terrorist organizations across South Asia, which we know is already one of the you know the two epicenters yeah. of jihadist terrorism. Yeah. And uh, and so we have to really become very aggressive with intelligence and law enforcement and cooperative military efforts uh, to, to go after those uh, who, you know, who I think are modern-day barbarians, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Afghanistan is, I think we should have always thought of it as a modern-day frontier between barbarism and civilization, yeah. you know, and, and what we did is we just abandoned that frontier, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're going to pay the price for it, not only in, in, in witnessing the horrors there, but in, in connection with our own security okay. as well. Yeah. Okay. H.R. McMaster, former National Security Advisor, fellow at Hoover Institution at Stanford University. Always appreciate your time, sir, and uh, appreciate this uh, real deep dive, important perspective in terms of where we are and, more importantly, how we move things forward. Thanks for joining us today. 
Thanks, Boyd. Take care. All right. Again, that's uh, H.R. McMaster joining us today. We're uh, running a little slow. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. Uh, much more to come on Inside Sources. Stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.